Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode 287 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Montero for Ring Magazine. As you can see, the new issue is out. Look at that. Fantasy fight on the cover. Duran versus Whitaker. Dream matchup. Awesome, awesome stuff. And ringtv.com and the Ring Digital YouTube channel where you are watching me live. As always, guys, I remind you, please make sure that you're subscribed and you click that little notification bell so you never miss a live version of the Neutral Corner Boxing Pod. But if you do miss the video, it's all good. The audio pod goes out on podcast platforms around the world. Just look for Montero Unboxing and the Neutral Corner, and you will find me. All right, guys, uh, TNC 287 for the week of October 30th. Halloween is right around the corner, trick and or treat. And uh, we got a few of you guys on the chat. Make sure that you're clicking that thumbs up button. All right. We're going to jump right to our special guest joining us from the other side of the pond, Mr. Luke G. Williams, who just released a book about the president, Ike Abeyabuchi, president of Pandemonium, the mad world of Ike Abeyabuchi. And for some of you younger guys, uh, Ike may have been before your time. Go on the YouTube, look up Ike Abeyabuchi's fights with Chris Bird, uh, David Tua. There's a few of them. You'll thank me later, all right? But um, for those of you who don't know, Aikabe Abuchi, uh, heavyweight contender, never got a title, never got a title. But I think in this era with, you know, the 5,000 titles per weight class, he definitely would have had one. Had the physical ability. He was kind of almost Andrew Galata-esque. And there was a couple, couple of heavyweights in that era that were like that, that really had a lot of physical uh, ability, but just mentally a little out there to put it nicely. Uh, so Ike was 20 and oh, 15 knockouts. Uh, today he is 48 years old, originally from Nigeria. He's, as far as I know, we're going to find out from Luke here in a second because he's got some inside scoop. I think he's in the United States, uh, but I don't know because I think his green card and all that got messed up. He was in prison from 1999 to 2015 in Nevada, got released in 2015, rearrested in 2016, and I believe he was. Released again last September. Whereabouts currently unknown, but you're going to get an exclusive here because Mr. Luke G. Williams, he's got the inside scoop. Before we bring him on, let's uh, run over here to the super chat from Mr. Feeling Dangerous. Thank you so much. He says, uh, Herring versus Stevenson should have took place on Friday, so it didn't have to be so late. Love the show as always, Mike. Hey, we'll be talking about that, man. Of course, you guys know I covered that fight from ringside for uh, ringtv.com. Uh, you probably saw my recap there and all my fight week stuff on the site. But um, I didn't get home. I live in Atlanta, okay? I didn't get home till 2 a.m. Actually, it was almost like 2.30. That is too damn late. And as I say that, Luke is on hold, and it's like midnight over, over there. So let me bring him on. Uh, we'll talk to him about this awesome book. All right, here we go. Luke, what's up? How you doing, man? Yes, Mike. Great to, great to be on the show, man. I've listened to this show for so many years, so to be on and finally to properly chat to you rather than just message you or whatever is, is amazing. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, I resisted the urge because every time I hear the name Luke, I want to say I am your father. I'm sure you've heard that about 5,000 times. I just realized I did a horrible introduction. Luke, you, you used to write for Boxing Monthly Magazine. That's how that's how we met. And now you're writing for Boxing Social. Could you just talk a little bit about your background in boxing before we get into the book? Yeah, so I've been in sports writing actually for for quite a while, going back to like the late 90s. And boxing was always like my first love. But initially, I didn't work in boxing. I worked in soccer, as you guys would call it. 
um, worked for a big organization called UEFA over in the UK and Europe. Okay. Um, and then I got a bit disillusioned with, with soccer. So I moved off into becoming a teacher. And then on the side, I was trying to get my boxing writing gig going on, um, which I eventually did. I did my first book, Richmond Unchained, a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through writing that, I got in touch with the Boxing Monthly guys, Mark Butcher, who I know you know. Yep. And Great it just guy. sort of snowballed from there, really. So, so yeah, it's always been like a side hustle, um, like it is for a lot of guys. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the story, really. But I got, a, I got so much love for all the Boxing Monthly people. Obviously, it was big blow when 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 the magazine w- w- went under right um because i'd edited the website for a few years that's right um and it was a great crew of people so it's it's great to still be in touch and to see how well you know certain people like yourself you know are still doing now, now you're linked up with ring yes sir um it, it was tough that was right in the middle of covid uh well mm. the, the the lockdowns and um I, I, i'm sure you remember the the video i posted on my youtube channel and I started getting emotional th- thinking about it, man, because uh, you, you mentioned Mark Butcher. He was one of the first guys that really gave me a break. And he, you know, I've talked to so many people that say the exact same thing about mm-hmm. him. You know, um, he, he even gave my my then girlfriend, now wife, a break doing photography because some of her photos were published in Boxing Monthly magazine. They've, you know, she's mm-hmm. gone on to do work for Ring and, and other platforms. So, um it really is on the bucket list for us to get over there to the UK and cover a fight so that we can have a meetup with the whole boxing monthly crew. That would be so much fun. Yeah, that would be awesome, man. And and just hopefully post pandemic, hopefully yeah. we now are post pandemic and yeah, just echo what you say about Mark, you know, he's a real gentleman and there's no, there's no ego about Mark. He's not like mm-hmm. one of those big shots who shouts, shouts in that. He's not like a self promoter. Right. You know? but just a really genuine guy. And he gave me so much help, you so much help, and so many other guys, you know, that he's given like a leg up to and a, and a helping hand. Yeah, absolutely great guy. And we would love to have you over here. Hey, man, now I've moved house. We've got a spare room here. So hey, you, you right. and the listeners are always welcome, man. Sounds good to me, brother. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things we want to do. Uh, we, we can't wait. We, you know, we were thinking about covering, uh, I can't remember which Joshua fight it was, uh, that was planned and then the, the pandemic hit. And uh, it just, you know, it, it's right now, it, it's almost impossible with everything that's going. I mean, it's better now than it was last year, but we want to wait till we can fully enjoy the experience and, you know, go see everything, all the sites, turn it into a trip. And maybe we, st- you know, stay over there for like two, three weeks or something. That's the plan. So can't wait, man. Can't wait. Me too. Let's talk about this book. Uh, first of all, why, why a Bayabuchi? Why, why Ike? Oh. So, man, I mean, I grew up, you know, the 80s and 90s and probably like the height of my boxing obsession as like a teenager was around that mid 90s period. Great, um, great era. Great era. Yeah, great era. You know, a lot of great fighters. Um, and I grew up reading Boxing Monthly um, and I, cool. I was following David Tua. You know, he was like the new yeah. the new Tyson, the new Dempsey. You know, he was destroying everybody. Um, he was, I think, on the cover of Boxing Monthly and you know, I love the heavyweight division. I had this old history book, like taking you back, you know, the whole history. And I love that historical aspect um, of boxing, still do. Um, and then I just read that Tua had lost. And I didn't even know he was fighting against this Nigerian heavyweight. I hadn't heard of Ibeobuchi at all. And I, I remember reading the report, you know, not only he lost, but this fight had broken the record for number of punches thrown, right. you know, more than the thriller in Manila. And I just thought, I've got to watch this fight. I don't think it was on UK TV. 
Uh-oh. Luke. Oh. Videos. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. You, you froze up for a second. Uh, am I back? Yeah. Yeah, you're back now. You're back now. Cool. Okay. Yeah, they'd have these adverts where you could, like, order pirate videos, you know, from mm-hmm. these dudes who recorded them off TV, and then they would make copies. And you could order what right. fights you wanted from, like, the U.S., so a friend of mine who was, you know, we were also really into boxing. We ordered a Bayabuchi tour because we thought we've got to see this fight. And I was just blown away by his performance, by the fight. And ever since then, I followed him and all the ups and downs, you know, that, that ensued. Yeah. Because I thought he was going to be the next, you know, the next guy, the next, the next potentially great heavyweight. A lot of people did. I mean, with, with what he did with Tua and mm-hmm. then the way he destroyed Chris Bird, uh, that knockout, it was a scary, scary knockout. And he had a few of those. Um, he was seen as the next guy and then it just all fell apart. It it felt like it was overnight, but there are actually a few incidents that led up to him being arrested. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just give a little background. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, in fact, the first big incident actually happens not long after the tour fight. Right. Um, a few weeks after that, um, I could been in some sort of relationship that had fallen apart, a girlfriend or whatever. Um, and one day he, essentially he kidnapped his his estranged girlfriend's son he drove off down the highway at like top speed and drove straight into a, to a concrete pillar with with the kid in the front of the car it wasn't um, the kid hurt and the kid could i think it was permanent injuries correct yeah from from what they said at the time i mean i tried okay. to track down you know i i, I think i found the, found the kid and i sent letters saying look i'm writing this book i want to give you the chance if you want to say say what happened to you or you want to talk about it obviously if you don't right. want to talk about it that's fine i never heard back so i don't know for sure how how permanent the damage was but at the time they were saying he would never walk properly again or he would right. always have you know physical injuries ike was pretty much unhurt um so yeah that was the first incident and you know that was a big red flag there but essentially what happened was the legal team you know there was shenanigans there was you know there was a settlement and, you know, within a, a year or so, he's free and, he, and he's fighting again. He's on the comeback trail. But the root cause of why he did that, you know, was he depressed? Was he manic depressive? Was he schizophrenic? So many different theories. That was never really dealt with. You know, the, okay. the promoters, Cedric Kushner and what off, they, 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 they had this commodity. They wanted to get him back in the ring. And, that, and that's what happened. And, and really, I think that's the, that's the root of the problem that, you know, Ike, I think, needed help. Um, whether he was willing to yeah. ask for that help is, is doubtful, but he he really needed help and shouldn't have been in a boxing ring, really. Um, right. And that never happened. He was he was pushed back in. And then after the bird fight, uh, there was an incident in Las Vegas, Mirage Hotel, a, a, a sexual assault. Um, and and after that, he went to prison, and and, and he, that was his last fight. You know, he 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 stayed there for a very long time. He kept getting refused parole, um, and so on and so forth. So those are the two big incidents. And strangely enough, both of them came after like big victories, big highs in his life were followed by these almost like manic episodes. It's um, almost a bipolar type of thing, right? Where you're yeah. right at the top and then boom. Yeah. And then when he went to jail, he he did a, a special plea. I can't think of the Alfred or some. Alfred, yeah. Could yeah. you explain that a little bit? It's essentially where you kind of admit you did it, but kind of not. Yeah. <laughs> if I remember correctly. It's sort of it's sort of. Not admitting you did it, but admitting that there is evidence that would probably convict you. Okay, okay. I, I'm not a lawyer, but it's a bit of a strange thing. Although he then tried to withdraw that later on, claiming that he wasn't of sound mind when when he when he made that plea. You know, he he went through numerous legal teams at different times, fired various lawyers, and so on and so forth. But in the end, the judge, the case had been rumbling on, and the judge just said, "Look, 
no, you can't withdraw it. You, you, you signed it. And I think at the time he signed it, he was actually on medication, which, which the expert said meant he would, have be, he would have understood better than he normally did what he was doing. So he tried to then okay. back out of that Alford plea, um, but, but they, wouldn't, they, they wouldn't take it by then. They just wanted to conclude the case, I think. Yeah, because during the trial, wasn't he seen medically or mentally unfit at some point and then put yeah. in a home or there was something like a halfway house or something? Yeah, he went to a psychiatric facility. He okay, was receiving okay. medication. There yeah. was lots of debate between different doctors. You know, at various times, you know, it was like maybe two, three doctors were saying he wasn't fit. Two were saying he was fit to stand trial. Okay. So there was a lot of back and forth there, you know, going on which is why it took, you know, quite a long time to come to, I think it was sort of two years really in the legal system before the case was actually really concluded around 2001, I think. And then he gets out in 2015, gets rearrested. What happened there? Yeah. So he, he was released, I think just before Christmas, 2015. And, and this is the time I was sort of following this. I was writing for boxing monthly. I've always had this interest in Abe Abuchi. And so I'd always been sort of checking up, you know, where is he, what's going on? There were rumors from time to time he was going to get out. He was, um, there was always going to be a comeback. He comeback that and all that, yeah. Right? yeah. And then, then he was released, and I managed to track him down, and I interviewed him by telephone in okay. uh, February 2016. And, yeah, it was all systems go, I think. So then he would have been about 45, I think, um, from memory. Yeah. And he was talking about doing what George Foreman had done. He was right. linking up with Michael Cons, who, you know, was in with Manny Pacquiao. They right. were talking about him going to be on the Manny Pacquiao undercard he was going to they were lining up Andy Ruiz they were talking about at some point um and then essentially um yeah he got rearrested about 50 days after I spoke to him and he had all these you know when he had all these grand ambitions and big hopes and he spoke to me about how you know he didn't feel he was free yet he would only feel he was free when he was boxing again and it was his destiny and all of these things but um essentially he violated the terms of his parole I think there was it's detailed in the book but I think um there was some sort of as a registered sex offender, he was meant to attend some sort of treatment or meeting, and he okay. didn't do that. And so he got rearrested, yeah, and, and was back inside again. Wow. Uh, knowing everything that you know about these cases, because you've looked into it, do you think that the the sentence, the first and the second, do you think they were excessive? Given what happened, do you think they were just? The first sentence, I think, was too lenient, you know, the first was too lenient. Yeah. Okay. Because he wasn't inside for very long, was he? Um, but having said that, there was, as I understand, an out of course. Oh, you're session. talking about when he crashed into the pillar. Oh, of course. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. that was just a few months, right? Yeah. I don't even think yeah. it was the year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so yeah. The So, I mean, man, it's, you know, he was in jail for a long time. It was like 16 um, years. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I don't know. I wasn't in the parole hearings why he kept being refused parole. But my yeah. presumption is, based on what I know about Ike and and the sort of the people around him, family-wise, in terms of almost like a refusal to admit that he's unwell, okay. that I suspect he wasn't paroled because maybe there was no remorse shown or no willingness to engage with psychiatric treatment. That's my suspicion. Okay, so that's, that that's makes presumption. sense. That's, that, that's not fact. So, you know... Second time around, I, you know, I feel, yeah, I feel he was in prison probably too long for, for that crime. You know, people are released much quicker for, for similar yeah. crimes. Well, but there's, there's the... active boxers. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, just, yeah. There's active boxers right now that literally did something similar yeah, and yeah. received no jail time. And yeah. they recently fought, you know, yeah. and there's a few people uh, <laughs> and there are, have fights coming up. So 
Uh, name yeah, no names, but I know. <laughs> yeah, we won't name names, but you know some of the guys I'm talking about. And, and yeah. so he does 16 years, but I didn't think about that angle where perhaps they're checking him medically mm. and he's going to these parole hearings and there's these experts saying, this guy's still a danger and he won't even get treatment. And I think it's like the refusal. So there was one time yeah. he was refused parole. He did an interview from prison with a guy called Tim Graham, who, who still works, I think, as a journalist over in the States. And in that interview... Although Ike later claimed he was misquoted, but Tim's pretty adamant he wasn't. You know, he essentially said, look, if I'd been back in Nigeria, I wouldn't have been in prison for this crime because this woman was a was a prostitute. She was a hooker, you know. You know, I could have I could do what I want with her sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's if he's taken that sort of attitude into parole hearings, you know. It's not gonna fly. Given yeah. his prior history with that yeah. lenient sentence you were yeah. talking about the first time around, because I yeah. couldn't believe that you kidnap yeah. a child plow into a pillar nearly kill the kid mm-hmm. uh you know, possibly could have and it was wasn't even a year uh yeah. so th- maybe I mean, that the, con- the conclusion was of, of, of i think of the court they said at the time that he wasn't deliberately trying to kill the kid he was trying to kill right. himself. that's um, right that's right yeah weren't they saying it was an attempted suicide but he obviously endangered the kid okay yeah. uh yeah man i totally forgot it. but this is bringing back memories because uh it was so crazy to see a guy because because I saw that to a fight live on TV. Wow. And, um, luck, yeah, yeah, that was the good old days, man. Mm-hmm. I, they had fights like that all the time, all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, but that one was special. And you're just thinking, you know, this guy's going to be the next one. Can't wait for him to fight Lennox Lewis. Mm-hmm. You start thinking about those kind of matchups, mm-hmm. and then this insanity happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just bizarre. A lot of it. You know, it wasn't just a simple assault and battery or whatever, like we get, <laughs> unfortunately, all the time um, yeah. in sports. But, you know, kidnapping a kid and, and crashing a car. That, anyway, um, so he gets rearrested uh, 2016, hmm. gets out in 2020. Yeah. What's been going on since then? Okay, so. He's released in September 2020, but because of his status, he's not a U.S. national. Right. He's not actually, he's released from prison, but he's actually put into ICE, so immigration custody, which is also what happened last time when he was released in 2015. And as I understand it, back in 2015, they were trying to get him deported back to Nigeria for whatever reason, Nigeria wouldn't take him. So in the end, I don't know quite how this happened legally, but I think in the end, they're just like, okay, we'll just release him in America then, you know, they won't take him. There you go, Arizona. <laughs> that's right it was arizona yeah yeah that's our system it's, um, it's, there's a few so yeah he went yeah. back to ice september september 2020 and then i was sort of checking because ice have like a database you can check if someone's in ice custody so i'd check every couple of weeks you know so i'm trying to finish the book you know how's it going to end you know where is he is he is he out again etc cetera, etc cetera. and then i think i'd finished the book and i'd forgotten to check for a bit so i think it was like june or sometime i'm like oh Shit, better check. Where's Ike? Nothing. You know, not in ICE anymore. Check Arizona, not there anymore. Try an email, try and call. They don't tell you anything. So he sort of disappears sometime, you know, in the summer of um, this year. Summer of this year. In 2021. Here's your exclusive, man. All right, here we go. Here we go. I understand it just over the weekend um, from some online sources and, and research. My understanding is he's back in Nigeria. So he was deported is my understanding now. Okay. Um, and that he was, whether he still is, that he was at one point sort of in immigration processing in Nigeria. 
But as I understand it, he's now back in Nigeria. So those sort of comeback plans, um, certainly in terms of the US boxing scene, oh. would appear to be over. But my presumption is he'll try to fight in Nigeria if he if if he can. Yeah, I would Obviously. assume that. Do you know at all when he was deported? Was it last year or was it this so, year? Yeah, it was so, so it was sometime this year. But uh, yeah, this date year. wise, date okay. wise, I've not been able to 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 nail it down. So yeah. So he was floating around somewhere for a while. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think what happened is during COVID, ICE got sort of locked down, and okay. no one was sort of coming in or coming out or, or whatever. And then I'm guessing sometime in the summer was, was when he was finally deported. Why Nigeria changed their view on taking him back, I don't know. Some sort of behind the scenes stuff going on there, but I don't know. But yeah, my understanding is you know back in Nigeria and presumably at some point going to be free and probably going to try and try and come back or at least have another fight. Yeah, I would think there's something probably coming in uh mm. in Nigeria. Um you so you last spoke to him was it 2016? Yeah. yeah. That you physically last spoke with him. Yeah, by phone um, and a few emails before he got rear and then he stopped answering my emails and then that's when I found out he'd been rearrested. Yeah. When you talk to him, uh you could hear his voice, you could hear mm. inflections in his speech and everything. Did he seem with it or did he seem a little Touch you know it. what? Remarkably with it, I have to say. Yeah, okay. Um, like his his recall, he didn't want to talk about the, the criminal stuff. Right, right. So I was sort of trying to ease in. I thought, well, I'll speak to him a few times about the fighting. You know, I'll try and keep the communication going. At this point, I wasn't necessarily even wanting to do a book. I didn't really know. But, you know, I thought he's an interesting figure. You know, we'll see what we can get. Um, so I hadn't got around to like the crime-based stuff yet, which I from the little bits where I'd, I'd mentioned things, I could see he was reluctant to go there. So I was focused, focused on the boxing and hoping to, you know, deepen the contact or whatever. But yeah, remarkably together, his recall okay. of the fights was very, very clear. Um, okay. Quite a softly spoken guy. Um, didn't seem agitated in any way when, when we were speaking. Um, quite a formal guy. So the one time I sort of got in trouble with him was was when I referred to him as Ike and he sort of interrupted me and said, no, 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 Mr. Williams, I would please appreciate if you referred to me as Mr. Ibeobuchi. Oh, so, wow. Well, at least um, he didn't say you have to call him the president. He did not he used to do that in HBO meetings. <laughs> and I'm sure you yeah. wrote in the book where he slammed a knife into a table at a, yeah. I think it was just yeah. the HBO executive meeting or something yeah, like Lou that. Yeah, Lou DiBella tells that story, yeah. That's right, Lou DiBella. Yeah. Did and you talk, you talk well, to him for this fight? Or for this fight, for this book? Did you talk Lou, to Lou? Yeah, I did yeah. speak to Lou, yeah. Okay. He, was, he was very helpful. So, I mean, yeah, I spoke to as many people as I could. I think in, in all, I spoke to about 30 people, either promoters, okay. managers, publicists, other fighters. So I spoke to Chris Bird. Um, I tried to get David Tour. I couldn't get David Tour, unfortunately. I tried very hard. Um, but Kevin Barry, who was part of the Tour team, right. uh, Larry Merchant, Jim Lampley, they were great. Awesome. Um and still, you know, two guys who've seen so many fights, but still talk about that that David Turi Bayabuchi fight in yeah. like awed tones. I mean, I think it was Lampley who said, you know, the the heavyweight fights he covered for HBO, it was like Bo Holofield and Turi Bayabuchi were like the two for him, you know, the two the two best ones. So yeah, I tried to speak to as many people as possible that were there at the time, and obviously then you tease out these 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 strange stories like the the one before the Chris Bird fight where. I mean, that performance that he puts in against Bird, I thought was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing. I mean, you made the Galota comparison, which I think is a good one. But I think the difference with Ike is although there was chaos outside the ring, inside the ring, he was a very composed, 
That's a good point. Disciplined fighter. He never broke down that. in the ring. Yeah. yeah, and you see that, and, and you know, he didn't foul. You know, he didn't lose. Seem to lose his temper. His temperament was great in the ring. Outside was chaos, and the right. bird fight's an example of that. The camp was absolute chaos. He nearly didn't. He he refused to get on a plane to the fight. I think he only sparred once in the build-up to that fight, and that ended in a out of the ring where he attacked Ezra Sellers because he thought Ezra Sellers had tried to cut him with a ring, and um, <laughs> it was just chaos. And wow. before the fight, he, they're about to walk out, and Ike's like, "No, I'm not going." Unless you get me a Snickers bar. <laughs> so this guy hey, has to scurry off. They are pretty good. They are pretty good. They are good. They are good. So this guy and his team has to scurry off, buy him a Snickers. Ike eats it, and then he goes in the ring, and he does that, you know, that performance. It's crazy. So, yeah. Was that the fight that he refused to weigh in? There, I know there was a fight where he didn't want to weigh in, and they had to, like, fight him to get to the scale. Yeah, that was – um. It was so a different between fight, Between huh? Tour and Bird, he had two sort of comeback fights. It was one of those ones. I forget which which guy. But, yeah, uh, yeah, he wouldn't come downstairs, and they had to ring him up right? Uh, and say, oh, we need the president downstairs. Otherwise, like, the event can't run. We have to they have had to call him the president. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, they had to call him the president. Because I remember Lou, Lou talked about that. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and only then would he come down when they said they needed the president. Um, <laughs> you yeah. can't write this shit. Well, well, actually, you can. You can, you can write it. Yeah, you can. Um, so how can people in here in stateside get the book? Yeah. So obviously if you want to line the pockets of Jeff Bezos, you can go on Amazon, but the better way to get the book is Hamilcar who are absolutely amazing boxing publishers. Um, so there's seven books in this true crime series. Right. They have um, a whole series that are really fun. Yeah, and they've got all sorts of other, and they they basically focus on boxing, and now they're also moving into like hip hop and music as well. But they're a brilliant independent publisher. So if you want to support them and ensure that we get more books, you know, like this okay. and, and like their other books, you should go on their website. That's the best place to buy it to support the publisher. And also, I will, uh, um, I'll share their their links and stuff. Yeah, and Rival Boxing um, are, are a partner of Hamilcar, and they're. If you're buying your rival gloves, you can also buy your Hamilcar books from the rival boxing websites as well. So Very yeah. cool. And for you guys listening later on the audio pod, uh, Hamilcar is spelled H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R. I will post links. I'll tweet everything out. If you go to Luke's Twitter profile, the their Twitter is right there I, I, in your description, right? Hamilcar's yeah. Twitter is right there in, in uh, Luke's description. How can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, name? so I'm Boxiana Journal, which is, um, yeah, <laughs> I won't bother to explain, but B-O-X-I-A-N-A Journal, no hash, no underscores or anything like that. I'm, I came in, my love of boxing history, Boxiana, the original Pierce Egan, bare knuckle boxing journal from the, the first oh, ever cool. boxing journalism, All right. Boxiana in the UK, but that Boxiana works. was taken, so I had to add something else to it. So. Boxiana Journal. All right. That works. All right, man. Uh, thank you so much for, for you, uh, telling us a little bit about Ike Bayabuchi. And uh, and I can't wait to get started with your book. I'm finishing up one right now, and yours cool. is next on the list, sir. So I'll be checking and it one out. One last thing. If you want to read an extract from the book, that copy of Ring Magazine, which you're holding up there, has got an extract, I believe. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I, was, I saw that the other day. Let me uh, find that. Uh, 62. Because you have an article... On page 62, here we go. 
Let me see if I can get this on the camera here. There we go. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So if you guys listen on the audio pod, um, Luke's got an article in this month's uh, issue of Ring. And, um, of course, he's got to mention the book. There's an excerpt there. Good stuff. Good cool, stuff, man. brother. All right. I will uh, – it's what, 1230 over there? Actually, it's not. It's only 1030, man. But but I'm a lightweight. I've got two young oh, kids. Oh, Okay. That's right. That's right. You guys are five hours ahead. I'm still, sometimes I'm on West coast time and I, uh, I uh, mix it all up, but, um, well, it looks like you froze up again. So that, oh, there you go. There you go. You're back. I was just going to say that, w- that was a perfect segue, but, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you get back to, uh, your evening out there cool. and, uh, we'll talk soon, brother. Thank you yeah, so much. Thanks man. so much, Mike. All the best, mate. Peace. Peace and love. Peace. There he goes. Guys, uh, make sure you check out the book and the latest issue of Ring Mag, like I said, uh, right there on page 62, is a piece that uh, that Luke did. Just kind of previewing the book, talking a little bit about Ike, and then uh, gives you info about the book, of course. And there's a tiny little section from the book in there uh, for you to check out. But once again, it's President of, of Pandemonium, The Mad World of Ike Bayabuchi. And uh, he is just one of those interesting characters that you just only seem to get in boxing, man. Um, this is a crazy, crazy sport with colorful characters. And that's what we love about it. Sometimes tragically, but, uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, Ike's look in boxing years, he's 48 years old, right? He's an old man, but in human years, he's still young. So maybe, um, you know, his story is not completely finished yet. And, And maybe he can turn things around and, um, you know, I don't know, maybe stay involved in boxing. You just never know. You know, he could start training kids or something. There's things that he can do. I I hope that he can figure things out. All right, let's go to the fight review. We got a bunch of stuff to talk about from last week. And then, um, of course, if you guys want to get in the line, boom, there's the numbers. All right. Um, We'll start uh, Friday, October 22nd in Montreal. Oscar Rivas makes history. Yay. I'm just joking. I mean, kind of makes history. Technically, unanimous decision win over Ryan Rosicki for the inaugural vacant WBC Bridgerweight title. Now, uh, I don't know how to feel about this. I mean, do we really need another division in boxing? I don't think so. I understand that you look at the heavyweights now and you could be a guy that weighs 201 pounds and you're going to have to fight a guy like Tyson Fury, who's 270 pounds. And that is on the surface unfair. And uh, I understand. But if you weigh 220 pounds, which is Bridgerweight, or I'm sorry, 221, if you're just over Bridgerweight, you still got to fight Tyson Fury, who's 270 pounds it's still a 50 pound difference almost. So um, I, I don't know if this really alleviates any issues, you know, when it comes to weight, I think that there are other much, much larger issues like extreme weight cuts, guys blowing up in weight in between fights. I've been saying it for years. Someday someone else is going to write a book or something about my idea of a 24 hour seven days a week, 365 day a year weight management program in boxing and make a ton of money on it. Um, But that's what we need. That's truly what we need is a year round weight management program. That to me is more important than adding another division. Anyway, 
That's another rant for another day. Rivas beats Rosicki. So in the ring ratings committee over the weekend, we talked about this. Do we start a bridge weight ratings now? And we decided not to because who else do we rate? Who do we put there? Now, if a few fighters from cruiserweight and a few from heavyweight move up or down into bridgerweight and kind of fill up the talent pool there, we might consider it. But right now, we're not even recognizing this title, and we're not even rating fighters at bridgerweight. We don't include it on our site. So we removed Oscar Rivas from our heavyweight top 10. Personally, I don't think he belonged there anyway, bridgerweight or not. But we, we look at bridgerweight right now as heavyweight. We don't make a distinction. If you are 201 pounds or more, we consider you a heavyweight, regardless of what the WBC says. That's Ring's official stance right now. All right, Saturday, October 23rd, top rank on ESPN from State Farm Arena here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, attendance was just over 5,000. This was disappointing, but it wasn't surprising because uh, the Dodgers uh, pushed the Braves to a game six. At one point, I think it was. I think the, the Braves were up like three games to zero. Maybe it was three to one. I can't remember. The Dodgers won game five to bring the series back here to Atlanta. So when that happened, I was like, oh, that is going to completely screw this card. The walk-up was dead. There was just no walk-up uh, ticket sales, ticket activity. And uh, so 5,000 attendance, yeah, that was underwhelming and disappointing. But props to top rank for not, papering the place and saying, oh, we did 10,000, which is what a lot of other promoters do. So they announced it at just over 5,000. The fans that were there had a great time. And also uh, just before the main event, the uh, the it was the NLCS game six ended and they announced in on the speaker system there in State Farm Arena that the Braves had won. They're going to the World Series for the first time since the 1990s and the place went nuts. And they were all doing the tomahawk chop which is probably going to be outlawed in the next couple of years if the Wokesters uh, keep doing their thing. But everyone in attendance was getting down and just having fun, man, and doing a tomahawk chop. That that was pretty cool. At least um, the Atlanta locals were doing it. Some of the out-of-towners were like, what the hell is going on in here? Anyway, uh, the undercard was not very good in terms of the matchups. It was a lot of one-sided fights, but you got to see Zander Zayas continue to develop. He looked pretty good in his fight. He was the co-main. And the TV opener, Nico Ali Walsh, who I had a little fun with on Twitter. Not him personally, okay? So I want to explain this if any of Nico's people are watching. Uh, Nico Ali Walsh is Muhammad Ali's grandson. And if you watch the ESPN broadcast, you probably heard that so many times that you were hearing it in your sleep when you went to bed that night. They must have said it 14,000 times. It reminded me of when Tyson Fury was fighting Otto Valin and Tom Schwartz. And the ESPN crew is so desperate to sell the fight, like you were watching this epic, epic fight, even though both of those were showcase matchups just to keep Fury busy, um, that they said the word lineal 14 billion times during the, the, the broadcast, right? That's what this reminded me of. Now, should they make a note that this is Muhammad Ali's grandson? Of course. And, and Evander Holyfield, one of his kids fought on the ESPN Plus part of the undercard before the ESPN broadcast. So. Yeah, you're going to mention that stuff. And, and actually, Evander Holyfield was there and got in the ring with his son, Evan, after his son scored a highlight reel knockout win that the fans loved, by the way, in Atlanta. Uh, everyone just was screaming for that one. But, man, do you have to mention it that many times? 
So I tweeted a couple times, hey, just a reminder, guys, this guy is Muhammad Ali's grandson. And, you know, some people out there might be taking it as me making fun of Nico. Of course not. I'm not making fun of him. He's just doing his thing. I'm making fun of the ESPN people that mention it 8,000 times every five minutes during the broadcast. That's who I'm making fun of. So I want to make that clear and distinct. Okay, main event. Let's talk about Shakur Stevenson. TKO 10 win over Jamel Herring wins the WBO 130-pound title. I couldn't be more impressed with his performance. What an impressive display from Shakur Stevenson. Before the fight, he talked a lot of trash. He uh, got way too personal and, you know, crossed the line a couple of times for the taste of a lot, you know, a lot of people. And so, so he wore the black hat in, in, in this fight and, and Jamel Herring wore the white hat. He was kind of seen as the good guy, right? So a lot of people were rooting for Jamel in that sense. So I guess Stevenson was trying to sell the fight by being the bad guy or whatever. I should note that after the fight, uh, he immediately, uh, you know, embraced Jamel Herring and said, hey, man, you know, all that is squashed. He said after the fight, I'm paraphrasing, uh, look, we had to be that way when we were fighting. Now that the fight's over, we're friends. I love this guy. I love this man. That, that's literally, you know, pretty much what he said. He apologized to Jennifer Herring, J Jamel's wife. So it, it was good to see. But I got to give Jen credit because she tweeted a bunch of stuff, you know, subsequent to the fight, you know, a couple days after. Uh, some of it was, I think, Sunday, some of it today, where she basically said, you know, hey, um, you know, great job, Shakur. Thanks for apologizing. But, man, don't, don't, don't promote yourself that way. You don't have to. The skills speak for themselves. I tend to agree. Um, there's something about Stevenson, too, the, the, the baby face, the puppy dog eyes, and the kind of... I don't, I don't know how to describe his voice. It's not very um, alpha male sounding, right? It's not a very domineering kind of voice and presence he has. So the, the bad guy role, it just doesn't work for him the same way it would for somebody else. Uh, it ends up coming off just really douchey. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. It just doesn't work with him. It doesn't work with his fighting style, his aura, his presence, his look. It just doesn't work. I think he should market himself uh, more like Floyd did in his early years, back when Floyd was pretty boy Floyd. Because there's hints, and I, I hate to do this, guys. I don't want to be that guy. I'm going to do it, okay? I got to do it a little bit here. There's elements of Floyd in this kid. I, there were elements I saw against Jamel Herring where I was like, and that kind of looks like a young Floyd. Now, am I saying Shakur Stevenson is on the same stratosphere as Floyd Mayweather? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying stylistically, he actually came forward in this fight. He was the aggressor from the onset, and we hadn't seen him fight like that. And it reminded me of Floyd at like 130, 135, where you'd actually see Floyd go forward sometimes, and he could stand in the pocket, slip punches, touch you, and fight on the inside, do things with his forearms, his elbows, uh, those tricks that we talk about, right, that people were really mad at Tyson Fury for a couple weeks ago. Now they're giving Shakur Stevenson credit for. Now, it's kind of funny the way that works. But the, the reality is it's it's that American, classic American fighting style, right? Um, there's a little B-hop in them. I, I, I just, I never saw that before. I remember seeing Shakur's 
pro debut. I was ringside for his pro debut and a couple of his early fights. And he had what I called Bambi legs. Okay. I don't know if you guys might be too young to remember Bambi when the little baby deer is walking on the ice and sliding all over the place. Bambi's legs weren't under him yet. Right. That is how Shakur looked. He looked unsteady on his legs and he looked like if you pushed him, he'd fall over like a big gust of wind would knock him over. Man, in this fight, did he look strong? He looked really, really strong. He looked stronger and more physically imposing in the fight than Jamel Herring. And Jamel Herring was supposed to be the guy getting physical with Shakur. Now, to Jamel's credit, being the Marine he is, he did make some adjustments in the middle rounds. And with the fifth, sixth round, uh, he did kind of make a stand and he started mauling and grappling and getting inside and throwing some hard body shots. And Shakur admitted that some of those shots hurt. You know, he said that Jamel had some power with him. So Jamel made a good push, but Shakur was just too fast, just too fast, man. Uh, speed kills, but it's one thing if you're staying on the back foot with a jab and just flicking it, right? Uh, a, a guy could really put his hands up and march forward and eat a couple of those on his way in to get some work done. But when you're stepping into a jab, right, and you have the same speed, the same velocity, but you're stepping into it, you're putting your ass into those punches, you knock your opponent back, and you're still controlling distance and doing all the things you like to do on the back foot, but now you're stepping forward into those shots. And that's what Stevenson was doing from the opening bell, man. So I was really impressed. Now, am I ready to put him on the pound for pound list or anything? No. You know, beating Jamel Herring at this stage doesn't rate pound for pound list consideration. But I will say this. And, you know, actually, Stephen Breadman Edwards tweeted, I think it was last night, you know, um, and he, he used parentheses when he used the word they. But he said they spoke too soon about, you know, naming the Fab Four. And he was talking about the four young lightweights right now that everyone talks about. Tiafima Lopez, Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, Javante Davis. But Breadman said, but what about Shakur Stevenson, right? He's right around the same weight class, same age. And now he's got two world titles, legit world titles, in two different weight classes. Now, I had to respond to Breadman. I said, hey, for what it's worth, if in the February issue of Ring Magazine, there's an article written by, my, by myself, and I talk about the Fab Five, and I included Shakur. I included Shakur way before everyone else wanted to, right? So I'm not saying I'm the only one, but again, we see this pattern happen occasionally, and I never get credit when I call stuff like this right. I only get shit on when I get something wrong, but um, I considered Stevenson part of that group. And Hey man, you could throw uh, Chris Colbert in there too. You go a couple divisions down uh, Stephen Fulton. I mean, there, there's a crew of young American fighters around those weight classes uh, in and around featherweight, lightweight. They're really, really, there's a lot of talent. They just need to fight each other. But if you look at Shakur Stevenson right now, I think he's, what, 17-0, nine stoppages. That win over Jamel Herring was, was, was legit. That was, that was a legit good win. Um, I, I, again, I'm not calling it a pound-for-pound pound level win or anything like that. I don't, don't want to get too excited too fast. But I think he's accomplished more, Shakur Stevenson has, than Ryan Garcia, 
than Devin Haney. I think he's neck and neck with Javante Davis. I really, really do. The only one that is above the rest of the pack is Tiafima Lopez. He's defeated. He does have a pound for pound level win, right? Um, Then if we're just looking at young fighters, not specifically American fighters, but other uh, guys out there that have those pound for pound kind of wins around that weight class, Josh Taylor, right at 140, you just go a few pounds north. He's got pound for pound level wins. So there's a couple of guys around there that have, but if we're just looking at the Fab Five, those American fighters I'm talking about, I think that Tiafima Lopez has accomplished the most. I, I think right behind him is Shakur Stevenson. And Javante Davis sells more tickets. He's fought on pay-per-view. But his win over Leo Santa Cruz, I don't rate that any higher than Stevenson's win over Jamel Herring. I think Jamel Herring was in way better shape and fighting at uh, his natural weight when he fought Stevenson. I can't say the same thing for Santa Cruz when he fought Tank. So I, again, I think those two are neck and neck right now. So don't sleep on Shakur Stevenson. I think that uh, Top Rank did a good job picking him up and developing him the way they did. They got something there. I think that the kid is going to uh, definitely go on to to win titles in multiple weight classes and probably be on that pound for pound list one day. We don't know if he can catch a big shot, but when you got the skill set that he has, I don't know if he's ever going to catch a big shot. I really don't. I don't know if he's ever going to get hit with something really hard and really flush on the chin that he doesn't see coming. I don't know. But unfortunately, we're probably not going to see him and Tank or Haney or any of these other fighters in the ring against each other anytime soon, which sucks because that's the last piece. That's the last piece. You guys know um, Ak and Barack on zone. Barack was there sitting right next to me ringside um, Saturday night. And we were talking and he was talking about how excited he is about this generation of, of fighters and how many uh, great young American fighters we have. And he kept using the word stars, you know, and he's, there's so many. And I was like, yeah, there's talent, but these guys ain't stars because they're not fighting each other. And he's like, oh, they're too young. They're too young. I'm going, brother, when, Shakur, when, um, when Sugar Ray Leonard and Thomas, the hitman, Hearns fought each other. They were 23 and 25, I believe, right around that age. Uh, th- these guys are ready to fight each other now. And the, the reason why Leonard and Hearns and, and, and Duran and those guys became, specifically those two, though, the reason why they became so popular is because they started fighting each other young. And they, t- they took L's, but it was okay. They came back from those L's, and, and they created storylines that, sports fans could follow and wanted to follow. And that's missing in this generation right now. So um, it, it was cool to chop it up with him, man. We ended up uh, talking all night about this kind of stuff and uh, following each other on the IG. So I'll keep in touch with him. Maybe we can get him on the show or something. But that's it's one thing, man. These guys got to fight each other. That's how you build them into stars. Okay, let's do the preview, shall we? All right. This Saturday, October 30th, Halloween weekend, we have a few different events. Let's start over in London, Matchroom on the Zone, uh, Chantel Cameron, Cameron fighting Mary McGee. Cameron is 14-0 out of the UK, has the WBC 140 women's title. 
Mary McGee is an American, has the IBF version of the title. They are going to unify titles. So this is a title unification in the women's 140-pound division. Here in the U.S. of A, in Las Vegas at Mandalay Bay, uh, TGB Promotions, PBC on Showtime, Jamal James going up against uh, Brooklyn-based but Russian-born Radzhab Buteyev. This is an interesting fight. Uh, James is 27 to 1, 6 foot 2. Butiev is 13 and 0, 5 foot 10. So there's definitely a size advantage, uh, a height advantage for James. But Butiev has a lot more knockouts in a lot less fights. So he's seemingly the harder puncher. So you got uh, puncher versus boxer in this matchup. Although Butiev has shown he's got some boxing skills. So that's a fun main event. But also on this card, Jerron Boots Ennis. Going up against Thomas Delorme, Jerron Boots Ennis is a major talent, right? We're really excited to see where uh, he's going to go. Uh, Thomas Delorme made to order for him right here. He is one three and one in his last five. He's almost as tall and is physically uh, the same size as Ennis. Ennis is still going to be the bigger guy, definitely the stronger guy. But uh, Delorme is his most experienced opponent to date, and. He won't be – a lot of Ennis's opponents have been completely uh, just oversized by him. So uh, Delorme, you know, almost going to look him eye to eye, but he's just so softened up that I think Ennis is going to destroy him. This is going to be a, another statement performance from Boots. And then in New York at uh, MSG in the Hulu Theater. Uh, so this isn't the main MSG garden. This is the the theater at MSG, which I think seats like a, a few thousand top rank on ESPN plus Jose Zapata going, going up against Joshua Vargas, 10 rounds, junior welterweights, a battle of Southpaws. Jose Zapata, 32 years old, Mexican American going up against Vargas, who is a Puerto Rican native, but he uh, lives and fights out of the Bronx. So uh, even though these guys are American, you know, it's it's the Mexican versus Puerto Rican matchup in terms of heritage, so that's going to be fun. Also on this card, another Puerto Rican fighter, Carlos uh, Caraballo, 14-0, bantamweight, going up against Filipino fighter Jonas Sultan. So you got Puerto Rico versus the Philippines, and Sultan is um, – he's this is a bantamweight fight, but he's fought most of his career at 115, moving up. I think he moved up in his last fight, but, yeah, so he's recently moved up to bantamweight. So – he is naturally the smaller guy here. Carabayo is going to have a, a size and power advantage in this fight. All right, guys, that is it for the uh, the preview. Let's jump over to the phones. I think we got a call here. Oh, we got Nacho on the line. Let's let's talk to Nacho. See what he's got to say. Nacho, what's going on, my man? Hey, Mike. What's going on? Nothing much. Um, I'm surprised I'm the first call. I thought you'd have a Roll callers already lined up. <laughs> nah, man, that's, so, it's, it's it's so random uh, with the phones, man. So, again, sometimes I think I'm going to have twenty calls, I get one. Sometimes I think I'm going to have three calls, I get uh, twenty. So, oh, okay, all right, that's cool. Um, yeah, just kind of what I talked to you about on Twitter, uh, watching that fight on Saturday night. I just think uh, Herring and his team had the wrong game from the beginning. Um, the only way you're going to beat him, beat Stevenson, is you're going to have to go after him. You're going to have to make it uncomfortable in there. You're going to have to fight somewhat rough, somewhat, you know, sloppy, somewhat, you know, dirty. You're going to have to hit him when he doesn't expect it. You're going to have to hit him to the body. You're going to have to 
really just attack him all night long in order to beat him. And Herring just unfortunately was not able to do that. He he wasn't able to get inside very often. And when he did, he didn't throw enough to make it, um, you know, uh, to turn the tide of the fight. And Stevenson took advantage of that. He was able to, you know, pepper him with shots. And, and Herring just had no head movement, no upper body movement. He was just getting tagged. And <clears throat> it's funny because some people complained that the stoppage was um, early. I had no problem with it. I had Stevenson way ahead yep. by that time. So, And Herring isn't a knockout guy, so he wasn't going to knock out Stevenson. He would have had to have landed one of the luckiest shots ever in order to knock the kid out, and I don't think that was going to happen. So I don't mind the stoppage at all. I think they, they saved Herring from getting beat up for another three rounds, basically. So, I agree. You know, maybe he comes back. Maybe he comes back later, uh, sometime next year, you know, fights again. Um, and then with Stevenson, um, after the fight was over, he was calling out, uh, Valdez as, as the guy he wants to, you know, fight. Um, I don't see that being, I don't think it should be an issue, but it'll be very interesting to see what Valdez and his team, uh, does at this point because I wonder if they're just going to either try to say that, he can't make 30 anymore and he's going to move up to 35 or if he's going to hang around and stay at 30 and maybe he needs another, you know, tune up before he takes on Stevenson. But I would definitely like to see Valdez take on Stevenson just so that, you know, we're not given this whole narrative of Valdez just keeps ducking Stevenson because he doesn't want to fight him. I, I hope that they do, um, you know, take him on and, uh, and let's see what happens. Uh, between the two, I would definitely like to see Chris Colbert fight um, Stevenson. I think that would be a really be a great intriguing fight. fight. Yeah, yeah, but I just don't see the PBC ever allowing Colbert to cross the street to fight Stevenson. So it's unfortunate, but I just think politics are never going to allow that fight to happen. Um, and then with the other one, uh, the um, oh Zayas. I mean, I think it, the kid is getting better, Mike, but they're going to have to start, like, stepping up the competition a little bit. Because yeah. the guy he fought the other night hadn't fought in almost two years, and he was a journeyman type guy. I mean, Zayas isn't going to improve fighting a guy like that. They need to start gradually stepping the kid up and getting him some tougher competition. Fighting a journeyman like that wasn't going to do anything except be target practice for him and that's what it was. Basically, he just teed off on the guy. Yeah, the there's guy nothing coming back. Off and, you know, yeah. yeah. So that's not going to help Zayas. He needs a guy who's actually going to throw back and actually challenge him and ha make him work a little bit. Like the like the same way uh, Nicholson challenged Berlanga a couple fights ago. That, that's what he needs. Yeah, He needs a guy that's actually going to be there to fight. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they – what they do next, but I would definitely like to see the kids step up at least a little bit and fight somewhat more of a live body. And then with the whole Ali thing, I agree, Mike, like, I mean, I get Aram and top rank are really trying to sell this kid, but to me, he's kind of in that same boat as uh, Chavez Jr. And Campbell Hatton, you're literally exploiting the father's legacy or, you know, grandfather's legacy in order to try to build build the kid up. 
But this kid's nowhere near being ready for being on TV at this point. So, I mean, like, to me, they should keep this kid off TV and let him develop off TV if he's really serious about being a pro fighter. Um, there's no reason to be putting him on after one professional fight. Like, he doesn't merit that kind of uh, consideration. If anything, they should have had uh, Evander Holyfield's son open up the telecast. I think that I kid's a better agree. fighter. Yeah, because it was in Atlanta. Yeah, He's from Atlanta. He got a highlight reel knockout. Um, the crowd went nuts. And then Evander got up in the ring afterwards. So it would have just worked so much better for the ESPN broadcast. Mm -hmm. I'm with you, man, 100%. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I, I have a feeling that as time goes on, they're going to keep pushing uh, Nico Ali on us. So oh, yeah. I, I guess all I can say is just get ready <laughs> I know. for that one. Um, and then as far as the, the cards this weekend, um, I, I think the Zion, I mean, the um, Vargas, the Peta fight should be a good one. Mm -hmm. It is interesting, though, that Top Rank is kind of putting these younger prospects of theirs in there against these grizzled vets at 140, like, like a Zapata. Um, I'm not sure that this uh, Vargas kid is ready for that big of a step up, but we'll see. We'll see how he does Saturday night, but it's definitely an intriguing fight. I want to see um, how he looks against a guy like Zapata, who isn't that far away from being a world title challenger again. So right. it's definitely an interesting, an interesting fight. And then the other one with the Showtime card, um, I like Jamal James, but it almost feels like, and I don't know, maybe this is just me, Mike. It almost feels like the PBC is like dragging their feet with him in order to get him to eventually have to move up to 154 pounds mm -hmm. and then fight somebody in that division. Cause it seems like they are just not willing to put him in there against a legitimate top guy at 47 that the PBC has. Like it's really strange. They just keep dragging their feet with the guy. And I think he deserves a, a shot at one of the names, but they just keep giving him these guys who you're kind of waiting like, okay, like another, you know, somewhat of a stay busy fight. I mean, Butayev is a, a decent fighter, but I think Jamal James is on the level where he should be fighting guys like Thurman, Porter, you know, Garcia, someone of that. Thurman would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's earned that right to get to that to that type of opponent. And it's just really strange how Heyman and the PBC just keep um, giving this guy like these no names to have to keep fighting. And at some point, I think he's just going to outgrow 47 and he's not going to be able to make 47 and he's going to have to go up to 54. So it's kind of disappointing that they keep doing that. But I like watching the kid fight. He's entertaining. So I don't mind seeing him in there again. And then, uh, with Boots, I think Boots is going to win this fight against DeLorme, but I just want to see how much resistance DeLorme is going to put up. I mean, he yeah. gave James a hell of a fight um, the last time they were in against each other. So I'm hoping he definitely tests Boots because I think that's the biggest question mark with Boots is that it seems like he's dominated everybody in front of him, which has been kind of a little bit to his detriment. I actually want to see somebody who's not going to fold as soon as he starts um, hitting them and, you know, he's going to take them out right away. I hope DeLorme is that guy to kind of answer those questions so we can see how good Boots really is because everybody keeps saying that he would beat uh, Virgil Ortiz. But to me, Virgil Ortiz has fought the better uh, opposition right now. 
And I'd like to see Boots at least fight the same level of opposition before we start making any predictions on how a fight between those two would go. So, you know, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much it, Mike. Um, I'll just uh, listen to the rest of the show. Okay, great, man. Good stuff, Nacho. All right. As always. Thanks. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, and I agree. I think um, Delorme is going to give a, Boots something to think about, but the difference between Boots and James is Ennis is a lot more explosive, heavier puncher, um, more just more physical, more of a physical fighter. And I think that Delorme is going to feel those punches early on and say, oh, I think with James, he thought he could maybe step forward. And then when he fought Stan Jonas, I don't know if Stan Jonas is a really, really hard puncher either. So I, I just think at least Stanionis is maybe a thudding kind of puncher, but uh, Ennis is a, an explosive puncher, and I think that he's going to catch Delorme with sh- shots that snap his head back and stuff, and he's going to be hesitant to uh, just go in there and just work. All right, one more call, guys. Let's see. Uh, five one three, you're on the show. What's up? Hey, Mike. Uh, you know I was. Sitting there, I, I uh, sent that super chat to you about the uh, the uh, the fight being on so late. I felt like that should have been on Friday. Might yeah. end up selling. Uh, I don't know what the World Series situation is, but I just you know boxing got real slow in the summertime, and then it decides to heat up right as the you know this is the busiest like two three weeks in the entire American sports schedule. You got the NBA and NHL are kicking off. You got the World Series and you got football all going on at the same time. I've seen people saying they could have put that on ESPN earlier. Well, they really couldn't have because of the primetime college football games that they have contracts to show. So it's, I, I don't know how they get it on earlier besides going to like Friday night instead of uh, Saturday. Well, that's the problem when you're on ESPN is you know yeah it, it's you, there's a corporate uh, structure there that you got to work with it, it it to me there was no coincidence that a few minutes after the baseball game ended the main event took place so you know to me that was very deliberate now did anyone at top rank tell me that's what they were doing uh they said they were waiting for a college football game to end but i'm thinking in my mind no they were they were waiting for the they were waiting for the college football game to end because I was watching it on TV and mm-hmm. uh, uh, well, we were uh, waiting for it. To, I was watching it with my dad and we were waiting for it to come on. So we tuned, turned on the Alabama Tennessee game and it ran over its allotted time. So that's what they were waiting for. So, okay. As as well, it ended, it started like right they were away. going up against mm-hmm. that and then they were going up against the baseball game. And I know the baseball game had to hurt them with ratings to a certain extent. Uh, but then also in, in the market here in Atlanta, it definitely affected the crowd. Um, the ticket sales were not where they wanted them to be. But I'm with you, man. Um, th- this is something I've talked about. Look, when I lived in L.A., it, it really wasn't a big deal because fight main events would start at midnight on the East Coast. It's 9 o'clock in, in L.A., so it really didn't matter. if Even if it was like a Tuesday night card or something, 9 o'clock is good. But when you're on the East Coast um, – you know, if so, if you're in the Midwest or the East Coast, the Southeast, these late shows, it sucks, man. And for me, like working them, 
I remember I covered a, a Klitschko fight once in New York. I didn't get back to my hotel till 4 a.m. because we had to wait for uh, Klitschko to do VADA testing after the fight. Uh, so we were waiting on them to, you know, VADA to finish with him before we could interview him. Uh, so there was all kinds of stuff, you know. And then we had to wait for international media. And I didn't get back to my hotel till four. That's just too damn late. So I'm with you that they could, um, you know, they could really change these things. That's one advantage to having streaming, you know, is you can just go live when you want. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, also, if you're going to have the ESPN deal, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of competition Friday night sports wise, uh, you know, you know, uh, Thursday night, you know, Thursday night football, I believe college mm. football games are very seldomly take place on Friday night. So it, I, I just feel like if boxing just kind of got together and be like, you oh, we'll put more events on Friday night because there's less competition sports wise, especially when it gets real uh, busy like it is in the, the American sports schedule because it's uh, the, as I said you know it's the you know as you're a sports fan all around kind of like I am watching the other sports leagues everything's hopping right now the baseball still going on NHL NBA starting up football going on right it's, you know you got you turn your TV on there's sports on all the time for right. about a two to three week period in our schedule <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And, and I, you know, I love Friday night fights. I, they work great. They're a great kickoff to the weekend. If, if you're a, a guy that works Monday through Friday, you get home from work Friday, you crack a beer, you watch the fights. It kind of kicks your weekend off. I, I, I love Friday night fights. And for what it's worth, I wouldn't mind seeing Tuesday night, Wednesday night fights, I mean, the only thing you're going to go up against occasionally is an NBA game, NHL game, something like that, maybe a baseball game. But a lot of those ratings are more regionally based. Uh, NFL, you do not want to go up against Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football, a big college football game. That kind of stuff hurts. But going up against, you know, the NBA and stuff, you'll, you'll be fine. So, yeah, I'm with you, Andrew. They, they really should, man. Now, I I do want to just touch on uh, Shakur Stevenson's performance a little bit because that was that was really impressive because Jamel's a good fighter and that was a dominant that was a dominant performance he put on and I've been thinking trying to think of somebody who could actually beat him at 130 pounds and there's only two guys that come to mind both of them aren't at the weight right now one would be Emmanuel Neverette moving up or Vasily Lomachenko moving down. Mm. And I'm going to say it. I think the fight for Shakur Stevenson, because I think Valdez Neverette, I think that fight's going to happen before uh, before they fight, because that's, that, that's just a really entertaining fight. If Loma can't get Tiafimo Lopez again, I don't see why he can't go down and challenge for that 130-pound crown against Shakur Stevenson, because that would be a great, great fight against two boxing technicians. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think that would be a lot of fun. It's doable, especially if Valdez does fight Navarrete, which is very, very possible. So, yeah, I'm with you. And then you can have those winners of those two fights face each other. Absolutely. (laughs) Which would be even better. You do a little four-fighter tournament. But those are really the only two guys. Valdez struggled with Kensei Sal. And Shakur's more skilled than Kensei Sal, especially, you know, moving backwards using the ring just in terms of, 
the te- the technique standpoint. So I don't think Valdez even really stands a chance against Shakur. I, I, I I'm not saying as a question. I do, like if that fight was made, I'm not saying I wouldn't be excited for it. But right. it's not really after watching that. It's not really a question I need answered immediately. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm with but, you. I'll hop off. I'll let you get to any other callers and uh, the rest of the show. So, <laughs> All right, Andrew. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good one. All right. You as well. <laughs> Got uh, a question here from Papa Chubby. He says, uh, Mike, did any listeners pop up and meet you for a beer? Yeah, I met a couple of you guys uh, at the fights um, and just came up and said hi for a couple minutes. There was a, a few of you guys that uh, made the trip to Atlanta Try to do a meetup before the fight um, with a couple media folks, and we ended up doing that. But the rooftop bar I wanted to meet at uh, was closed for a private event. Someone was doing a party, and they rented out the entire damn place. So we didn't get to take a cool rooftop selfie, which is what I really wanted. But I met with a, a few guys um, at the bar downstairs. Just had one drink, and then we walked over to the uh, to the arena so that was it. You know, it was a quiet night. You know, it wasn't a party night or anything like that. We didn't, I didn't go out afterwards, do anything. I pretty much after that went straight home and went to bed. I was tired. Super chat pledge from my friend, CJ Duncan. Thank you so much, CJ. He says, I let Ellerby on Twitter trolling top rake and Stevenson about low ticket sales, acting like we don't see they're going on 12, five on pay-per-view, which is a Sunday because it's college playoff on 12, four. I hear you, man. But for, for the, you know, I don't blame PBC for making that move. That's cool if that's what they want to do. And you, you can see, you know, hey, Sunday boxing, maybe there's room for it. Um, you're going up against the NFL. That's that's tough. But I guess you know they'd rather go up against the NFL than against the college playoff. But why does LRB always have to make it about ticket sales? You got one fighter legitimately that sells tickets pretty good in the lower divisions. That's Javante Davis. Cool. He isn't fucking fighting anybody. A few people, a very small niche audience of people cares about ticket sales. And I know you're trying to pander to them because they're gullible and they're not very smart, but most fight fans care more about who's fighting the best. Therefore right now in the eyes of most fight fans, Shakur Stevenson rates higher than Javante Davis. I think that more fans probably respect what Stevenson has done so far than what Tank is doing, fighting Raleigh Romero and charging a premium for it. Uh, you know, people got to watch this fight between Stevenson and Herring, which was a real passing of the torch generational kind of fight, which is what you are supposed to get in boxing, right? And they got to watch it for free. Now, yeah, they had to wait till midnight. I get it. There was only 5,000 people in the crowd. I get it. But you're going to have to pay $80 if you want to watch Javante Davis knock out a C-level journeyman type of fighter. A cl- a, I wouldn't even call him a club fighter in Raleigh Romero. This is a guy who's been protected, and he still got uh, he still had to rob someone to keep his undefeated record last year. So um, you know, look, man, it is what it is, but why you got to go on there and hate on a young fighter who just put on the performance of his career just because he's not selling as much tickets as Javante Davis. Who gives a shit? He just fought somebody better than anyone Davis has beat. Facts. All right, back to the phones. 
Let's go to Keith. Uh, 631, you're on the show. What's up, Keith? What up, Mike? How are you? Good, man. Yeah, just to kind of follow up to uh, coming from the East Coast, I, I don't miss staying up till 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes uh, to watch the entire card. It's, yeah. you know, it's a luxury to, I guess, have it out here. And uh, the fights are done at 10 o'clock and the night's relatively young. You can do something. So it's really nice. Um, I was actually very impressed with Stevenson. It was kind of like, also I like too, is there was a kind of like a duality or a symbolism in the sense where, where, where the passing of the torch, you had, you had a uh, Herring come out, walk out, you know, to, to Jadakiss, and then you had Stevenson walk out to that guy from, from Migos. Um, there was, it was just a symbolism in, in the, in the change of generation. And yeah. it was almost kind of epic with, uh, Herring walking out to Jadakiss as a near for myself. It was actually pretty cool to see, you know, Herring from Long Island too. Mm. Um, yeah, I was impressed with Shakur. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a big fan of him. I think he's a punk, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because he's out of the ring antics. He's also a young kid. But very impressed with him. He kind of a little bit reminded me of Mayweather to an extent. Not pretty boy Floyd, I guess, money per se, where he's a little bit more judicious in his in his actions uh, as far as, you know, punch, his functional instruction. Very accurate. And he was, he seemed to act like the bigger man in the fight. Um, I don't see Valdez beating him. I see Valdez maybe keeping competitive. Valdez can keep up a good jab, but I think Stevenson right now is probably the man at 130 unless he fights Colbert and something happens. Um, but yeah, to kind of touch base on what everyone else said too, I, yeah, I just think, I think Stevenson's kind of probably be a problem at anyone at 130 pounds until he goes up to 135 and he fights like guys like his peel still there or, or, uh, or Garcia or Haney who, all might move up to 142 so we'll see yeah. i don't know i agree man um, I, look right now at 130 it's between stevenson and valdez and i would favor stevenson to win that fight i just would yeah i mean do you think that valdez's people are are avoiding stevenson or he just yeah has been the weight in the past i i i don't think they were but i think they will now i think that they're going to go a different direction. Look, Navarrete is a tough fight, but that's a more winnable fight for Valdez. Um, <clears throat> and maybe build the Stevenson fight a little bit more. But, um, it, you know, it, look, if you were Valdez and you had a choice and you had equal money to fight Navarrete or Stevenson, you'd probably want to fight Navarrete first, you know? Yeah, from a business perspective, 100%. Yeah. You'd fight Navarrete first, especially since he's coming up and wait and Valdez can kind of take advantage of his wild style as well too. And that'll be, if they, if they sell that, if they do that here or in Arizona, it's still sell out like easily just because of excellent fans here. Um, but I mean, Andrew said that um, Navarrete could give Stevenson problems, which could make sense because a guy like Stevenson, he's more of a, he's more, he's more of a boxer base. So someone who's unorthodox who comes to a death in angles could give him problems. But I think ultimately, I think uh he would probably stifle uh, Navarrete's attacks. Agreed. I really only think the person that could beat him down at 130 is probably Lomachenko because it, it would could almost kind of not a settle debate, but people say what would happen if Floyd and Loma flutter 130 pounds. Or Stevenson and Floyd have very have similar. They have the American style. I think Lomachenko could give him a lot of problems. Obviously, just because of his angles. If he if the Lomachenko shows up that just beat Nakatani or even before at 130 pounds, I, I think he will he could, he could pose a lot of problems for uh, for Stevenson. But again. I don't know if Bob Arum matches them up just because 
Loma still has some fight left in him, and Stevenson's a rising star. So I don't think he's gonna. I don't. I don't think he'll do that. But you never know. Yeah, I doubt it. I highly doubt it because I think that uh, top rank doesn't want him to lose, which sucks. But I mean, who is it going to fight? Who's it going to fight that we care about? I, I, I don't know. Um, maybe top rank really you know shells out the money to get him to fight Valdez. That would be a number one versus number two. That would be for the Ring Magazine championship to be for their quote unquote lineal championship. So it would be a, a good fight for Shakur. But I think a fight with between him and Lomachenko is commercially bigger. They could put that in New York. Remember, um, you know, Stevenson's from Newark. And then with all the Ukrainians and Russians yeah. up there in New York, that would be a big fight. It really would. Yeah, that'll be a very big fight, actually, when you think about it. That'll be very big. And then you have Chris Colbert. I think Chris Colbert would probably try and push for that fight to happen, but I don't think that happens. He's got, what, the WBA regular title at 130, or is it a super now? It's one of the PBC titles with the WBA. But, yeah, I don't, I don't, think, um, I don't think the PBC will allow that. I just don't see it happening. We're in bed. We're in bed with Al. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, We're in bed with Al. Um, one other thing I want to actually another thing too, uh, just to kind of piggyback what everyone else was saying. I think that yeah, boxing will probably be better on a Friday night and sometime during the week too as well, just because it's going up against other sports and promoters have their heads up their asses and they their the, the sport itself cannibalizes itself by putting on multiple cards. So yeah, a Friday night on a on a busy weekend is probably a good idea. And the other thing too to kind of uh, going back to the Fury Wilder fight, yeah, Fury looked sloppy, fat. I think he was out of relatively out of shape. But from what I've seen, I haven't seen. I mean, we saw we saw um, Usyk get I guess maybe buzzed or hurt by Joshua. Honestly, I would say Fury is probably one of the best recuperative powers in the whole goddamn sport because he's got nailed by white got nailed by Wilder, knocked down by Wilder, knocked four times. Yeah. Yeah, I think. And he just recovers so quickly. It's, you can't teach that. It's crazy. I don't understand that. Natural born fighter, man. Yeah. All right, Mike. Well, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. And then, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to the rest of the call. On, on YouTube. All right. Thanks a lot, Keith. Have a good one, man. All right, guys. We're going to do one more from the UK, and then we're going to wrap it up. Let's go over to uh, 780. You're on the show. What's going on? Hi, Mike. Chris Berg. How you doing? Chris. Hey, man. I haven't heard from you in a while. How you doing? Yeah, it's been a while, man. Yeah, I'm doing really good. I've just uh, been doing a lot of overtime lately at work. I uh, finally got Monday off, so nice. good to listen to the show live and thought I'd call in. Nice. Yeah, so um, I did have a lot of... I, I uh, wrote a lot of notes down this lunchtime, uh, <laughs> To ring uh, to ring up, I uh, wrote a lot about the um, Stevenson Herring uh, fight, but I think everyone's pretty much covered that. Um, what I would say is, you know, much respect for both guys. Mm -hmm. um, Stevenson for you know, pretty much a, sh a shutout display, weren't it, from him? Dominant, very dominant performance. And uh, Herring, you know, people talk about Wilder with a lot of heart. I thought Herring showed a lot of heart as well in that fight and uh you know the guy is just a top pro and you know truly great guy in the sport um we need more people like jamel herring i, I think in the sport agreed in the and, world uh, you know and his wife as well his wife as well everyone needs a wife like his wife you know standing behind the man like she does 
Yep. I, I completely agree. Uh, that's something that Jamel's talked about, you know, um, and, and, you know, I, I feel that way about my wife. My wife has got my back no matter what and um, supports me. And, and you just, you gotta have that. It, it, it really changes your life, fellas. When you meet one like that, do, you know, keep, keep her happy. Just do what you gotta do to keep her happy. Cause it, it changes yeah. your life. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, but um, I saw Herring put a post up, and uh, it, you know it was a post of him and his daughter, and yep. you know it made me think maybe maybe he should probably hang them up now. You know he's he's made a lot of money, and you know he's thirty five. You know it must be hard to keep that weight. Um, maybe time to hang him up, but I don't know. Maybe he wants to go on, thinks he's got more in the tank. I don't know. What do you think? I think he'll want to do one more. I, I think him and his family will want to do one more. Maybe they could do it in Long Island or something up up in the, the New York area. Um, so it's, you know, quote unquote, a homecoming and get in there against the right opponent to go out on the W. But, you know, I, I talked to Jamel last week and I, I texted him for like the last week or so. And we finally talked in person last week. And um Something his energy seemed different for this fight. I, I have to admit, you know, I didn't want to say anything before the fight, but his energy did feel different. Um, so I do think he's considering it. I know his wife would love if he hung him up. So I, I think maybe one more, maybe one more. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, next one. Um, so you were talking about um someone that we talked about a lot, Ali Walsh. <laughs> And um, I was thinking, um, you know, there's a lot of fighters out there at the minute, you know, who's, you know, either parents or grandparents have got big names. So you've got, you know, Eubank Jr., Connor Ben, Campbell Hatton, Tim Zhu, Holyfield. You know, there's quite a lot of them out there. Um, so uh, my question to you is, who do you think is the one to look out for out of those fighters? Um the one for me that stands out uh, is Tim Zhu. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think the guy has gone from a contender to you know challenger now, and I think you'll see in the next twelve months. I think he'll probably be a world champion or at least fighting for the world title. I think. Yeah, I think Zhu and Ben are the two I'm most interested in. But you know, you know what? Just what I just noticed, Chris, is you named all these sons that are that are fighting. And only yeah. one, only one is American, and that's uh, Evan Holyfield. A lot of fighters' True. sons here go into basketball, go into baseball. It's it's yeah. It, I don't know. That just that just stood out to me. It, it's interesting, you know, because because I know a lot of fighters' kids that are uh, college athletes right now. You know, they're 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 playing college football, uh, college baseball, track, whatever it is, but they're not boxing. Interesting. Anyway, yeah, it's, yeah. it's Ben and Zoo for me are the two I'm most interested in. Yeah, well, I've seen Zoo is fighting um, the Takichi Inoue next. Yes, uh, I've no idea. I've no idea if he's any relation to Noya Inoue or not. But um, not that I know of. Yeah, he's fighting him next. No, um, and Conor Ben, I would say Conor Ben is probably one of the most improved fighters in world football in uh, world football and it was said uh world boxing <laughs> world football. at the moment yeah i yeah. agree um you know i saw him early on in his career look he looked terrible yep um i saw him against a french guy i can't remember the guy's name but 
guy was about six and four, and he got dropped. I think it was two two times in the first round. Conor Ben nearly yeah. got stopped. Uh, ended up winning the fight. Uh, ended up stopping the guy, and then he ended up um, beating him again in the rematch convincingly. Okay. Um, but yeah, I said I you know I hold my hands up. I said on Twitter, uh, you know this guy Conor Ben's got no nothing about him. He won't be anything special. But I think he's really improved a lot. I think he, he looks like a good fighter these days. And, you know, he's shown that in his last, you know, last three wins. He's had three solid wins in a row now. He does. And, um, and you know, I think, you know, put him in with uh, Evanesian, I think that'd be a good fight. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Be a good fight um, next. Who has he fought this year? Because he fought two good well, fights fought, this year. Um I know it was uh, Sammy, it Granados. Samuel Vargas. Yeah, yeah Granados and Vargas. Granados and Samuel Vargas, yeah. And the yeah, Vargas he stopped, fight. He stopped Vargas in one round. Right. Which, you know, that's exciting. But the Granados fight I thought was great because that got him rounds against a really experienced guy. So, you know, maybe an Avenesian would be another fight like that where he goes the 10 round distance or whatever it is, but he gets those rounds in. That's what's going to serve him well. And that's the one thing uh, Zoo isn't getting as much right now. You know, um, young yeah. guys need those rounds, man. Yeah. I mean, for anyone that's not seen it, I'd check out. I think it was a, an IFL um, video and it was uh, after the Conor Ben fight with Granados and uh, the interviewing uh, Conor Ben afterwards. And then Granados comes in. And uh, Conor Ben actually speaks fluent Spanish, and he starts having a go at uh, Granados in Spanish. Uh, That's it was awesome. a really fun interview. They bring them both, yeah, they bring them both in, and they're both going at each other in interview. It's a really, really good interview for anyone that wants to watch it. You said it's IFL. I, I think it was IFL. I think it was Coogan Cassius. Yeah. Okay. But if anyone wants to look it up, it's r- r- really fun. But yeah, Conor Ben, I think he lived in he lived in Spain for uh, quite a while. So yeah, he speaks fluent Spanish. And <laughs> cool. it's quite funny to I see him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so another another thing I want to speak to you about was the uh, Dylan White pulling out of the Otto Wallin fight, which was meant to be this weekend, I think. Ne- yeah, I think it's this weekend. Yeah. Um, it looks a bit iffy i think yeah um you know a lot of, a lot of people think that you know and i don't blame him because you know they're saying if he pulls out this fight he's got tyson fury next for the title he's, he's been number one for is it four years now <laughs> it's something like that yeah it's, it's kind of crazy yeah and the last time um he put the the chance on the line was against Povetkin and he got beat he got knocked out. <laughs> um, I mean, he did avenge that loss, right. but does he really want to? Does he really want to um, put that on the line again against a six foot four southpaw, tricky customer? You know, who's only been beat by Tyson Fury. I don't know. Yeah, it does look suspicious. It would not surprise me at all if we see White and Fury fight early next year. I would love to see that fight. I think it'd be really entertaining. I think it, they could do that here in America. It'd still be good, but you could do it in the UK as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, do, do, do I believe that there's a shoulder injury? I, I don't know. I'm 50-50 on it, man. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you. <laughs> but mm. I don't blame him, though. I don't <laughs> I either. I really don't blame him. I don't after, waiting, after waiting four years. Yeah. After waiting four years, man, I mean, that's just crazy. But, I mean, there's a lot of good fights still available at heavyweight. Even, you know, people are saying Wild, you know, Wilder should retire, um, which, you know, depends on how much how much he's, um, you know, pain he's, and injuries he suffered at the hands of those fights, those last two fights with Fury, but... I mean, if he's okay to fight, there's some, there's some big fights out there for Wilder. You know, he could fight Dillian White. You know, he could fight Anthony Joshua, Joseph Parker, Usyk. There's lots of fights out there. Um, you know, I think heavyweight's in a good place at the moment. As long as, long as they fight each other, the division's great right now. Um, are these, you know, yeah. the, the best fighters ever or anything? No, but... There's a lot of interesting no. fights that can be made. I mean, Wilder against White, against Ruiz, against Parker. I'd watch any of those. Yeah. You know, I, I hope they can all Absolutely. happen. And so over the next two or three yeah. years, if we got a bunch of those kind of fights, it'd be great for boxing, but you know it's it's not gonna happen. Yeah, well, yeah, most of them will happen, but yeah. I mean, we've got a uh, Chisora versus Parker that's coming up in uh, Manchester. I'm, that's I'm, a fun uh, fight, man. For that one. Yeah, you see, there's a yeah, lot I'm of like snobs that. that are like, "Oh, I don't want to see that fight. They're not elite," and that's a good matchup. Two two guys that at, on any given night can get it done with big punches. I want to see that fight. That that that's heavyweight boxing right there. That's the kind of heavyweight boxing I'm going to watch. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, people people like us, you know, we just want to watch boxing anyway. So yeah, that's a good <laughs> like, point. I I watched I watched the uh, Mikey Garcia card the other last week, and you know, on paper it, it looked terrible, but I watched it and really enjoyed it. I thought the whole card was a really good watch. Yeah, the Lots fights ended up being fights, fun, action packed. Yeah, it was yeah. really fun. And I thought, you know, on the zone, it was it was you know for you. Be subscription money. I'm all paying one pound ninety nine at the minute. It's going up to seven pound ninety nine. But for one pound ninety nine, I was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's a hell of a deal, man. That's a hell of a deal. Yeah. Plus, it was funny to see Mikey Garcia lose as well. Quite <laughs> funny, so. Yeah, I think a lot of people were like, "Okay, you know, after just all the stunts he's pulled, I think uh, people. It's not that people wanted to see him lose, or you know, that they were rooting for a guy to lose, but it was just." he, he kind of got his comeuppance a little bit and people enjoyed that. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you know, with COVID and people uh, taking long layoffs and mm -hmm. then not taking people seriously, that's what happens. You've seen it with plenty of times yep. recently. It's happened yep. a lot. So that's a warning for other fighters. Um, yeah. Last, last question I've got is, um, so obviously, you know, I spoke to you uh, over Messenger. Obviously, well done with your with your victory in your fight. Um, Thank you. Will you be fighting again? That's what I want to know. I was like, I was actually supposed to fight November twentieth, but the gym that I train at, the part of the roof caved in, so the city condemned the building. Oh yeah. Um, so they got to fix it. I actually saw my coach at the fights this weekend. I was talking to him about it. He doesn't know when it's going to get fixed. So. I want to, and the plan now is to do it early next year. It's either going to be March or May, uh, depending on when the, the gym can get fixed, because the only other gyms that are true boxing gyms uh, are kind of far from me. Th this one that I train at, it's like four miles away. The other gyms in this part of town are MMA gyms, and they have a cage, 
but not a ring. You know, I want to be in a ring where I can spar and stuff. So yeah, I want to do another one for sure. And I was, you know, we had everything set up with the promoter. It was actually going to be a pro fight. And um, it, this happened. Oh, so, really? Yeah, man. It's just always one thing after another. So we'll see what we can do. But yeah, the plan is I'd like to do one uh, in the first half of next year. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, you should, def- you should definitely stick with it because obviously, you know, you look good in that last fight. So, Thanks, and obviously, man. we all want to see it again. So, appreciate it. And um, yeah, and uh, I thought the interview you did before with Luke was really good, by the way. With who? Oh, with Luke. with Luke. With Luke. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Luke's a cool guy. And uh, yeah, he was, um, he just, the the subject matter of Ike Abayabuchi, it, it's it just, you could talk for hours about a character like that, you know? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he was right. He needs to come to the UK as well. It's it's absolutely <laughs> on the bucket list. Yeah, I can't wait to get over there and see you guys. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely, man. Definitely, man. All right, I'll let you go anyway. Get All right. Call or, or whatever. All right. Cheers, All right, bro. man. Have a good night. All right. And yourself. Take care. You too. Bye. There he goes. All right, guys. We're going to wrap it up right now. Boom. There's the outro music. Um, well, there we go. You know, we got a few calls um, on the back end of the show. Good stuff as always, everybody. And um, we'll do a show, uh, I guess, Friday. I'm going to be traveling for work, but I'll try to do a show Friday. Uh, Friday wrap up on my channel or else uh, we'll be back here next Monday on ring for TNC. All right, guys have a great week. I'll see you at the fights. Peace.